Welcome to another episode of Playback Theatre Talks. I am Noah Laibu. And in today's episode, I am talking with Debbie Eden. Debbie is the Vice Chair of the Center for Playback Theatre. She is the founder of the Heart Sparkle Players and she is also teaching and doing playback theatre with children and with people with developmental disabilities. Debbie and me will talk about conducting skills and more specifically we will talk about interviewing the teller. Please join us for another playback theatre talk. Hi Debbie, Hello. so nice, so nice having you on my podcast and playback theater talks. We've known each other from from social media. We finally get to talk, and we're going to talk today about interviewing the teller, which is, I think, um, one of the most unique and most important skills. that uh, we have in Playback Theatre. Uh, first, I would like to ask you to introduce yourself and share something about your Playback journey. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm very honored and really look forward to this conversation. So um, I began... Uh, working actually using theater with children in 1981 and uh, a group of us were trying to prevent sexual abuse with children and so we developed an interactive piece with children and went into schools and 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 did this did this kind of work for several years uh, it was in the beginning of the A time when we were talking about sexual abuse in general and specifically with children and we did this for a number of years and then schools uh, ask us if we would do something about um, bullying and I didn't want to write uh, a scripted didactic piece I wanted something Thing that would be even more interactive and more complex uh, and so I didn't know what that would be I just sort of put it in my mind and started thinking about it and I was at uh, a college here in Olympia Washington where I'm from in the US I went to that college and I happened to be walking around it one day and looked at a at a bulletin board and there was a flyer about a playback theater performance and this was in night just about 1990-91 and I had no idea what playback theater was but I love theater and so I said okay I'll go and so I went to this playback theater performance and immediately I said this is what I want to do with children because it is more about their personal stories it's interactive it has the possibility of talking about feelings and then my idea came is that really the way in which 
I wanted to approach bullying was through building empathy and compassion. That if we have more empathy and understanding of one another and of ourselves, and that is the that was the entree for me to talking about bullying. That's how I began using playback. And um, I started learning playback and we added that to our company, to, to the company, the Heart Sparkle Players. And then from there, we expanded and began doing public performances and commissioned performances for adults and, and doing more work. So that's really my beginning. And I, I, I went to the School of Playback Theater, as it was called back then, in, in, in the mid-90s. Uh, to learn more about playback and to study with Jonathan and Joe and other wonderful teachers who were there. That's my beginning. And I've been doing it actively since 1991, almost 30 years. It's interesting that you've started actually with children and playback was kind of a solution. You were trying to find something, find a tool that will help you improve your work with children and this is how you came across playback basically and then from there on you you moved to adults and to do public performances and things like that with your yes. with your group which is heart heart sparkle players that's right, right. heart sparkle players and it, it's it's a um it's sort of a you know it's it's not a very hip name um but the origin of our name is that when we were doing the sexual abuse prevention theater, we were trying to think of a name for our group. And, and what do you what do you call a theater group that does sexual abuse prevention? And simultaneously, as we were meeting my daughter, who at the time was about four or five, was also doing theater just as children often do. They imitate what adults were doing. And so we were meeting and the kids were playing in another area. And, you know, I asked them what they were doing and they said they were, you know, they were making plays too. And I was like, oh, that's fun. And and then I said, well, what's your group's name? And they said the Heart Sparkle Players. <laughs> okay. And so that's how we got our name. So it, it's your your daughter's friends that are responsible for for the yeah. name, and they yes. were for you. yes. But you're also leading a group that calls the Thunders. You know, our actually our last workshop before um, the pandemic in March was a workshop with the Thunders, and then the following weekend we were going to do our public performance, and then people were no longer gathering. So, um, so uh, our our work has been alive and well with the Thunders for many years, and um, it's been a beautiful collaboration that's taken us to um, to many many emotional and 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 wonderful places in terms of communities who are supporting and are. Um, have members who are have disabilities, particularly developmental disabilities. It's interesting that you've chosen to focus on um, on this kind of work 
every job I've had, playback has always been a part of it. So playback is, you know, in my in my bones. Mm -hmm. And and how does it feel for you right now? I guess it's been a while since you were able to perform live. I know that you've been performing on Zoom, but um, I assume that you're still not meeting each other, right? No, it's, it's not possible, and we don't know when that will be possible. Um, but, yes, March, that workshop, that live workshop where we were, we were all together was the last um, playback that, that we've done. That was early March. So for me, what my journey with this was at first I was just incredibly sad. I was incredibly sad because, you know, this is such a big part of my life and being with humans and creating with them. Um, and I just didn't, you know, at first I didn't know, well, how will this all work? But the beautiful thing is that our international playback theater community just rose to the occasion and started creating online and started using Zoom and started doing workshops and started talking about, well, what are the ethics of doing playback online and how do we adapt forms and what do we want to do? And so I said, okay, you're sad, Debbie, and you still want to do playback. And so you explore and see what works for you and what may work for the Heart Sparkle players. So that was part of my whole getting involved and going to workshops and going to performances and seeing what 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 made sense for me artistically and ethically uh, to do online. I imagine that a lot of people that are listening to you right now can maybe identify with with this uh, with this feeling and with this uh, message of um, we need to keep and try to create and I think it's really important these days also to to have this to have playback at least I can say that on my behalf that playback was um, helping me a lot to deal with the situation right now in the world I, I want to start and talk about conducting. Because uh, we have a lot to cover, as I said. I'm going to do a sharp uh, transition. I'll start with, with a basic question. When conducting an interview, what are you aiming for? What are, what are your goals? So it's making connection, creating relationship, and being open to the way in which this teller will tell while still being clear that the conductor is the guide. And, and how do you do that? How do you, how do you first invite the teller to, to share a story? Or what is a good way to invite the teller to share? Well, you know, it, it, it depends on the performance sometimes, you know, but um I try here in our country if if we're if we're blessed and if we work consciously we have a diverse audience. So we have a diversity of age, of gender, of race, um 
we'll have folks who are on the ability disability spectrum. And my idea, my hope is to try to create such a space that all those folks could feel they could tell a story. And so um, that, as I say, that's set up from the very beginning. I will begin by asking questions and planting seeds. And some seeds have already been planted because the actors, well, the performers, um, including the conductor and the musician, will have told moments that plant some seeds in relationship to, to stories and perhaps a theme that we might be exploring that night. And I try to be open in the beginning, you know, who has a moment and maybe I'll relate it to the theme and maybe I'll say, you know, I'll give some examples of, you know, this could be a moment that happened outside in nature or it could have happened at work or, you know, I'll plant some seeds and then I'll make space. It's a progression. So there's the first teller, and then there are the tellers after that. And and what I do after that depends on who has told and what they told and where we are. Um, so it, it's a crafting of a whole experience, and it is dependent on the moment. So when you're conducting a performance, you're always keeping in mind the voices that weren't heard, that is also something that guides you when you're conducting and when you're inviting the tellers to to come to the teller's chair and share a story. Yes, and and not only the voices that aren't heard, but but the possibilities of of a very different story. you know, so that there's this dance between the stories that are emerging and this narrative reticulation that we've been talking about, um, you know, that Jonathan has been sharing with folks and, and, and the way that dance kind of happens and the role of the conductor that is, um, you know, we've laid out the theme for the evening and, um, and the theme is, uh, um, I'm just going to make one up that that we've done. The theme is the you, the wisdom of elders. So I plant this seed of this theme and have people talk to each other in the audience about a time when they experience the wisdom of elders or when they experience the antithesis of that. You know, so you know, so it's a whole spectrum because whenever mm-hmm. we're talking about something, there's also there's also the other side of it. I tend to live on the hopeful side and the side that wants to hear and get stories of that, but but we must also explore others. So then I invite, after people have talked to one another, I say, well, who has the first story that they would like to tell on this theme? And then someone comes up and sits next to me on the stool and I ask them their name and um, and I say, you came up here with a moment. Um, and I'll say, I'll either say, how does your story begin? Or um, where does your story begin? And then we'll go from there. And my process then is to help them craft 
the depth of their story that they need to be able to tell in that moment, you know, and to get information for the actors. And I take into consideration who's on stage, what skill level. Um, And so that's the other thing as a conductor I take into consideration, who's on stage, what do those people need? You know, if I have the actors that have 20 years of experience on stage, I know that I can get a story, but I don't have to worry or think "Mm, what else needs to happen because I know I can hand it over to them and they have so much experience and skill that they will create something. um, They will render the story beautifully. And then I work with the particular teller as they've taught me how. I, I don't know how to put it in any other words, I just believe when someone sits down to me and I first start talking to them, they start teaching me how to interview them mm-hmm. in, in a way that works for them. So you feel like you're really you're really like a different conductor, a different person from one teller to another? No, I feel like I'm myself, but I draw on different skills mm-hmm. or a different way to be with them and to get their story. And you were you were saying that you start the interview in a certain way, asking where does your story begin or something like that. Do you always start in a certain way or do you, you can sometimes say something totally different or you have kind of like a formula that I, works? I, I try not to be formulaic, you know, I try not to have a formula, but I, so if if sometimes a teller will get up and they'll start talking right away, they'll say, oh yeah, this story is a, you know, I want to, I've always wanted, you know, whatever it is that they're going to say, and they start talking, and then I will begin with their beginning, and I will tap into their beginning, Um, and, and so, you know, it just depends. Depends on the teller. Um, it, you know, I might say, well, so you, you raise your hand really quickly. So, so you're eager to tell. So I may make a comment or, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the audience was very quiet and, and then you raise your hand. I know this is kind of a tender, a tender topic or, you know, so I may make a comment before we begin when I start working with the story, I often will then say, you know, well, when does, you know, where does your story begin or, or tell us your story, tell us your, you know, so, you know, it's not formulaic, but it, 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 it begins that process of getting the story. So there's kind of a setup and a relationship building and a responding to them. And then there's, then there's, I move into this role of guiding, getting the story, you know, getting some concrete kinds of things. And we may, we may go on some paths. Uh, I may ask some questions that don't, aren't relevant, you know, because uh, I've picked up on something. Or I may get the feeling, or I may get the feeling there's more to this story, but this person just wants to tell this part. 
And mm-hmm. so then I will, you know, uh, sometimes, I don't know about other countries, but sometimes in America, we tend to, uh, some playback companies, not all, can be on the on the therapeutic realm and kind of more, you know, yeah, I'll just say mm-hmm. on the therapeutic realm. And some performances are more on the therapeutic realm, depending upon who, who they're for. Mm-hmm. In public performances, there may be moments of deep tenderness and revelation, but it's not, I don't want to go, I don't want to, I don't want to do therapy with a teller. So how can you avoid going there, going to the therapeutic place? Well, uh, maybe I should ask it the other way around. Like what is making it sound therapeutic? So I, I, I'm going to use an example. So we did a commissioned performance for mothers who had given their babies up for adoption. They gathered together. A friend of mine knew, you know, had seen playback and she had she worked for this agency and she asked if we would come and do a playback um, performance at one of their they call them retreats. And so we we went to this retreat and um, it was a small group. Uh, there were you know, there were maybe two or three more audience members than there were actors. Mm-hmm. And because. And because this was such a small group, an intimate group, and the topic was, you know, giving up your baby for adoption, we knew that this was going to be a tender performance and more on the therapeutic end of the spectrum. Of course, Mm -hmm. how could it not be? And so the way that I set it up, was less performative, you know, um, just physically this, this, the, it was less performative. It, it was more intimate. You know, we were in a smaller space and, and yet we still did playback. And the first mother who told, told a moment of, um, she had twins and she gave both of the twins. Yes. And, and she told the moment of when, the adoptive parents came to the room and, and, you know, sh- this was just four months prior. So mm-hmm. this was very tender and very present with her and everyone in the room felt that. So I conducted it in a way that was very soft and gentle and, and very acknowledging and not getting into too much detail except what she wanted to share. So I was very aware that she was, she was the one guiding what, what, what was going to be told. And, um, and then the actors did a beautiful playing back. And then I said, so who has another story? And, and perhaps because I knew in the audience, there was a mother there whose child that she had given up was now seven years old. And so she was very far out from the experience and perhaps a mother who, you know, who has some, I don't know exactly how I phrased it, but basically, you know, some, some time from that moment that we just heard. And then that other mother told 
her story about now her child is seven years old and 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 her you know role in this child's life and so it's like we got to see they got to see and and then other people told moments stories mm-hmm. too so so that is to me the more therapeutic that you're really working with um what is a alive in the room in in the in the psychological realm and the emotional realm for folks. So, so that's an example of that and, and how I craft that. So it, it sounds like you also try to, to create some balance with, with, with that question, with the question that you've asked after you heard the first story about who has a different kind of story. You created this spectrum that you're talking about of uh, different kinds of stories. As a conductor, you can, in a way, bring other perspective and invite other kinds of stories to maybe expand the perspectives. Yes. And, and I, and I think there's always this, there's always this, I don't know if tension is the word or what, what, what we want to pay attention to is um, why are we doing that? And I think that naturally in a, in a setting where humans have the opportunity to balance that, in playback performances, they will. However, sometimes that's hard for us to do and the role of the conductor can help model or, or, or present the possibility of the spectrum as you're saying. But we have to be aware of why we're doing that. We have to be conscious as conductors about what's happening in this room right now and what choices am I gonna make now? Yes. I was I was interrupting you. You were about to say something about a therapeutic kind of conducting that has more of the therapeutic side and on the opposite side, or not on the opposite, but on the scale, there are other other ways to conduct. So maybe you can say something about that. Yeah, so I think what I was going to say is, so for me, that's a, a, a very good example of the, of, the, of the therapeutic end of the spectrum that the Heart Sparkle Players has, ex- we have experienced and I have experienced as a, as a conductor. And then there's, as I say, our public performances, which are not intimate in, in the sense of, uh, uh, you know, of a very small group like that. It's not a retreat. It's not, you know, people don't, you know, they're not coming necessarily with a shared big thing that they're, that they have heavy on their hearts like adoption. So they're coming to a public performance and they may be coming because they support the community group that we're, uh, we're we're collaborating with they may come because uh you know they like the theme that we've uh expressed for the night they may come because they just like playback or they just like being in community with others and people come to laugh they come to be in community they come to share each other, you know, to share in stories and um, to connect with people in the community. Often people know each other. We'll have, you know, a number of tables where people all come together, people from the senior center come or, you know, so it's just, it's a very community oriented event. Mm -hmm. So they're not coming um, 
for a therapeutic experience. Although there may be moments that are very tender. So I conduct more like here we are as community. And mm. there, you know, it, it, it's a different way of conducting. It's, it's, uh, it's more expansive and less focused on a particular uh, commonality that the people have. So my conducting is more like that. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It makes sense. So it's also, of course, it's the theme and, and it's the size of the group and it's the setting and all that that also influence how it's all working. And, and of course, how your state of mind as a conductor. And I, I want to ask you about the, the interview itself. Once the teller is um, sitting next to you and sharing his story, his or her story. How do you shape and frame the interview? How do you yeah, work with the story? Well, I, as I said, I am, I am trying to learn from them how will their story come out and, 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 and what are they wanting to express in this story? And so it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a dance that we do together. You know, they, that I make an offer of a question or of clarification or a, um, uh, a reflection. So, you know, I, I, sometimes people will say, listen, this happened. And I said, so um, it sounds like perhaps you were angry in that moment, you know, because they may have not said a feeling, but I'm trying to find out well, what, what was, you know, what, what, what is it also here? And they're like, oh, no, I wasn't angry. I was just frustrated. Or, yeah, I was really angry. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's emotion, reflection, getting information, and, and doing this dance with them um, to get concrete kinds of images and actions um, so, that, so that actors have some concrete things that they can, you know, they can latch on to or they can work with as well as other kinds of things that they may be, you know, feelings and, um, and images that they may be able to use um, in the playing back. So it, it, it's also always keeping the performers in mind as I'm, as I'm doing this interview. I'm trying to think, what, what do you do when, when there is a teller that tells a very vague story that has, it's hard to get some kind of a narrative or that is very general? How, how do you work with that? Are you trying to frame it or are you trying to get it to be? A story in the end so I, I sit there as I'm listening to this person and if if they're not clear or they're vague or perhaps the story is more what they think than what is a story you know their thoughts about the story like you know and I'm not being able to kind of get a story so I'll so I'll say to myself so why is why is this why is this person telling this story in this way? 
my, you know, the conductor's job, job, you know, task, hope is to be able to work with the way that person tells the story and make it okay. You know, make it good, make it good that they tell their story their way. And yet we still need to get a story. If somebody continues to be very unclear or a story isn't really emerging, then I might be more um, directive or more. I might start saying, well, I might craft it a little more. You know, I might outwardly craft it with the person. So so it sounds like the story started when you were five years old and and this happened and then this happened. And so I might like literally help them craft it and be transparent about that as I'm doing it. If if they're having great difficulty in doing that. Um, but I don't ever want them to feel like they're not doing a good job being a storyteller. But uh, as an actor, we, we need to understand where are we and who are the other characters and all that. And of course, to understand um, the situation in, in the story. H- how much do you, are you insisting on, on details? Yes. Um, Yes, of course. We, we, I, uh, those, those are a given. We have to get those kinds of things, and and we have to work with those. You know, with um, a, uh, as a conductor, I have to work with a teller to to get those kinds of things, so that I keep in mind, so that I think, because I'm an actor too, and so I think if I were an actor on stage, could I do this story? And so that's in my mind as well. And so, um, so yes, we do have to get those details. I had someone telling a story about, uh, he said that he, he feels uh, that he li- his lives were um, transforming, that he's been through a lot of changes. But when I was asking for examples, uh, that was harder to get. So what do you do in, such, in a situation like that where... You have a, a general feeling or something that is um, more general, but not uh, not specific examples or understanding of what exactly is going on. Mm-hmm. You know, that's an interesting thing. And in as a conductor, you 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 try to say, well, so think of a moment when one of those transformations happened so that, you know, and 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 if they don't go there. It's just sort of a global things are, you know, I'm going to use your example. Things are transforming. And, you know, so I'm thinking, okay, why, why might this person not want to give me details? What, 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 what is happening here in this experience? And so I kind of feel also energetically what's happening because that person is sitting next to me. So I feel a lot from that person. And so I feel if, if I'm going towards them and asking for more and they're pulling away energetically or physically, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Then I'm like, okay, then I will let go of that because I'm not going to get in a power struggle with a teller for getting what I want. And therefore, then I will work with the actors to say, 
So there, maybe there isn't a specific moment of transformation in this story, you know, and I'll work with the teller. But we know there's transformation. And so then the actors know we're going to be doing something that doesn't have a lot of specifics, but is capturing some feelings and some images. So those are the kind of things that I would do. Um, you mm. know, when I, when we, when I, you know, when I get stories from people who are on the spectrum of ability, disability, or people who, um, so let's just talk about that. But they may be able to articulate a, num a number of details and be re extremely self-reflective, or they may not. And so we, I, need to be able to accept that and craft it with them and then support the actors to say that essentially what I'm saying is actors, this is what we have. Go for it. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. create, make, make, make playback with what you have. And um, I mean, essentially, that's what I'm saying. And, and trust that the actors will do that. And, you know, we have set, we have had such a variety of tellers, children, people on the spectrum of ability, disability, people with mental illnesses, seniors who have dementia. So we're really used to, you may not get everything a person would like to get in a playback performance, but you're going to get something and you're going to create truth and beauty and honesty out of that something. So what can we do when we're facing a challenging teller? A teller that tells, for example, a very long story. And that can also be hard for the audience, I guess, to, to stay there until, you know, sometimes you, you get a teller that really gets into details. And I know I, as a conductor, sometimes I'm, I'm getting worried, okay, should I interfere? When is it right to interfere? How can I do that without making the teller feel uh, uncomfortable? Or so, what, what do you do in, situ in a situation like that? Because, of course, as conductors, we, all, we also have to keep in mind the audience and their attention span. And but we want to make sure that the teller feels good. I, I think one of the things that I try to do from the very beginning of when a teller comes up is that I try to establish that I am the one who's setting the pace and guiding. And so I actually interrupt people from the very beginning in a way, if need be, mm -hmm. right away. I don't let stuff go on because if I do, then I've set precedent. You mm -hmm. know, I've set precedent that they're actually the one who gets to say how long everything is. And, and, and actually that's my role as the conductor to assess, okay, when is it time to politely stop the person and, um, and move things along. And, um, and, and it's not easy to do. I know that. I know that. And one of the reasons in our community it's not easy to do is I often know the person who's sitting next to me. So, you know, I'm, all, I'm, I'm, I'm Debbie and I'm the conductor. And so, you know, I do this little dance. But I think it's essential that it is very clear to each teller who comes up and that, and that the conductor models that they are the one who is guiding this.
not the teller. You know, I say I do a dance with the teller, but I'm the lead in the dance. You know, mm-hmm. I'm the lead. Um, and, and I'm clear about that because I know that the actors have to get information. And I know that somebody going on and on and on can be too much for an audience. And I also have enough life experience with playback that there are times when a teller comes up and they are telling an epic story. And it may be a long interview, but it is important that it be a long interview. It's not a long interview because they want to talk and talk and talk. It's a longer interview because it's an epic story. So I think Mm. that's the other thing that a conductor has to learn is establishing the lead, being able to interrupt and learning how to do that. Practice interrupting, you know, in your company, conduct and practice interrupting somebody just to get that because that is a hard thing for people to do. You know, because we want to be polite and we want to take care of the teller and we don't want the teller to be, you know, but we can interrupt in a way that doesn't um, shame the teller or, you know, put put them off, you know. Um, So but practice is helpful in that. So I think that's one of the things that I do sometimes, you know, in still, even when I lead, I might the question that I might ask is, how does this story end? <laughs> you know, so it's like it is clearing to them. We need to end this. I need to, you know, and so it just it just depends. But I'm I'm going to guide it pretty um, thoughtfully if 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 I have a teller because. To me, the tellers who who I have met who do that, I've met some of them are, I'm a storyteller and I want to tell a story and I want to entertain you all. And I want to go on and on and on with my storytelling and my entertaining you. You know, that's kind of, they've told the story maybe several times and it's a funny, delightful, witty story. And so my job as the conductor is to make sure that it is not a monologue for the teller. And then there are other reasons why tellers go on and on. You know, sometimes they are captured by the emotion of it and they can't, they're trying to clarify it. Or, you know, some people just need a lot of words to put things together. Um, So, you know, it all depends on, once again, I think, why is this happening? And what what am I sensing from this person? But I think practicing being a strong lead is really good. And, and what do you do in uh, in situations where um, I, I assume that you probably run into that situation as well? When you have a teller that tells a story that is uh, not about him, him or herself, um, how do you cope with that? I had uh, a few occasions where someone was telling a story that happened to someone else. Someone told a story about a friend of him that was, uh, something happened to a friend of, of him or her. And, uh, and um, yeah, how do you work with this kind of uh, challenge? Well, 
first I acknowledge, oh, you're, you're telling a story about someone else, not about yourself. You know, I acknowledge what's happening. And then I say, well, in playback, when a teller comes up here, the story is about them. So the stories that we ask for tellers to tell are stories from their own life. So if you want to tell this story, we have to put you in this story. How, how will you be in this story? Is it that you heard the story and, and it and it had an impact on you? Or So I'll work with them to see where they are in the story and why they're telling this story. Um, so I'll get them in the story. And, and most of the time, that works. Well, what, what could we do as conductors if the teller seems not so pleased with the enactment? When, how do you work with that after uh, the teller is watching? Yeah, yeah. After the enactment, the words that I use are, did that capture the spirit of your story? Mm-hmm. So those are, those are the words that I use. So inherent in that, those words are not, did we get it right? Did you see every detail of your story? It's what's the spirit of your story there. Most of the time, authentically, I feel like people say, yes, the spirit of my story was there. And then they might say, but I was not so angry or um, I forgot to tell you this important piece or, you know, they might add a little addendum. Most of the Mm -hmm. time they don't. Most of the time they, they say, yes, it did. And I feel that, that, that authentically they're telling me that. If I sense energetically, I use this word energetic. I don't know what else to use. But, you know, you're mm-hmm. sitting right next to the person. You feel mm-hmm. and you sense things. If I sense that they're just being polite or they're being quiet, I might say, You know, after I ask that question, I might say, was there something else? Was there, you know, you're you're quiet or I'm I, I'm very I believe in being transparent. I, I, I see you're thinking about this or I see I see, you know, something going on and they might say. Uh, something and it, and it usually isn't like the quality of the enactment. It's usually that. I mean, it's, it's sometimes it is. I mean, sometimes it may be that the actors didn't quite get the spirit of their story. And they say and, and I allow them that opportunity to say that. But I don't open it up. You know, I don't mm-hmm. open it up unless there's something there. You know, kids will be like, well, but I went from the school to the park to the. Uh, to my home, to my friend's home, and you didn't get all the details right. And I go, yeah, sometimes we don't, especially when there's lots and lots of details because kids are very mm-hmm. literal, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but but did you see most of your story there? Yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll acknowledge, oh, yeah, we're not perfect. We don't always do it right. No problem, you know. But did, mm-hmm. but did you see, you know, so with kids or with you know, I'll work a little bit more around their literalness and their mm-hmm. their need to see every detail. Yeah, I, I was wondering if there's a story that stayed with you as a conductor that ever comes mm-hmm. to your mind. 
Mm. So um, our company was asked to do a playback theater performance for the Department of Corrections. And it was a performance for um, primarily for uh, people of color who work in the Department of Corrections all over the state. And it was a conference for them. And we were asked to come and do a playback performance. And um, this young black man, probably in his late 20s, maybe early 30s, came up to tell a story. And his story ended up being one of those epic stories that everyone in the room knew was an epic story. The beginning, I said, where does your story begin? I mean, I think that's what I said. It seems plausible. And he said, in a garbage can, I was left as a baby, as a newborn in a garbage can by my mother. Wow. So right away, I knew this story is epic. And then he told his whole life story to how he got to this moment at this conference not every single detail but the big the big journey that this young man went through being in foster care and then his own um relationship with uh, uh the law and then his wanting to go to law school and then you know just this amazing journey and it took a long time but you know if someone starts a story the way he did you know this is a big story yeah and you allow this story to be in its bigness and the whole room was you know and everyone in the room was captivated captivated in the sense of we all wanted to know how this young man got here from a garbage can left yeah. to die. So, so that's one of the stories that comes to me that has always stayed with me and has so, it, it, it moves me that I sat next to a human being who began their life that way. It was sacred. It was moving. And so it brings me to tears when I think about that story and that man sitting next to me and his bravery and trust to tell that story. I think uh, it's very important that you're you're saying that because we are sometimes we are caught up in uh, in trying to frame and shape the story and you know move on and we need to we, we, we and it's a performance we want to to have more stories and uh, there's like uh, the arc and we want to cover you know we want to 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 mark the checklist you know we want to but we need also to be open to whatever comes and sometimes you just need to sit there and listen because As you said, it's one of those stories that, that, first of all, everyone is interested in. And it's so big and it's starting in such a way that you have to, to allow it to be. I guess that everyone were grateful that you were going along with that. I can imagine it was very special. As you say, 
there are those checklists. There's all those things that we want to do, but, but those things are so much a part of me. I understand them that when I have opportunities to, to, to witness and be a part of thing stories and moments that are, that are bigger than all that. I, I love it. I love it. I, I, I absolutely, it's sacred to me. It's sacred. Yeah, and I, I want to, to add and say that as a conductor, you really have to practice judgment. I think my worst experience as a teller of a story is to be rushed by the, the conductor. And so this is something I wanted to mention that feels really unpleasant and it's really annoying for the teller to feel this way. Yes, and it's a delicate it's a it's a delicate dance, you know, and it and mm-hmm. and that's why I think conductors doing a lot of self reflection and 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 talking about these kinds of things with each other or with their company it really has really helped me. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. sort of my way is self reflecting a lot and kind of going, how did I feel about that and why did I make that decision and 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 what you know what was that about and you know so I think I think that's a a good thing for conductors to do because sometimes we rush things because we worry about we're worried oh the audience doesn't want to sit and listen to this or they had to sit too long last time or I've got to hurry up this interview you know and it's like the more we can be aware of why we're doing what we're doing on a conscious level, uh, uh, the better it will be. I was uh, visiting your, your website and I've seen a video that starts with the quote of a boy saying, uh, what if, you're, if, if your entire life w- was sad? And mm-hmm. I, I was thinking as a conductor, how do you deal with that? You know, when you're overwhelmed, there is a story that overwhelms you with this with the sadness, how do you start untangling this kind of story where a child is telling you that his whole life was, was sad? Mm-hmm. How, how do you, what, what do you do in, in a situation like that? You know, with children, I'm more of a teacher and a guide and a protector, but in a conscious way. And mm-hmm. so working with him what we were able to do, what I was able to do was to get out who in his life was there for him in this sadness. So when someone tells you a story that you feel, okay, it's all, it's really sad and uh, it's a story that you can get really easily into despair after hearing the story. So what you're doing is trying to find out who was there to support or trying to find something that is, you you can maybe say that, what, what are you trying to do when asking that question or? Well, I think it depends on, um, uh, you know, like I said, particularly for this project with children, I am not, I have a ethical and humanitarian um, imperative to, to care for this child. Um, in a way that will help him or her or them to see more than just this sadness or more than just that. And, and, and the whole project is crafted that way.
I interview in such a way that I show them some hope. If and and mostly there is hope. We're we're reaching the end now, and I'm I'm trying to think of um, what could be a good question to shed light on on the positive on the hope. What would you as a conductor say at this time where you, you started by saying you mentioned how upset you are about the things that are happening these days? If, if it was a story, what would you ask then the, the kind of the teller uh, that shares this kind of feeling? The feeling that I shared in the beginning that you were saying that that the reality these days is disturbing and um, that you're worried um, this is not exactly the words you were using but this is what i understood well i um i think about it as navigating these times and so i i think i would ask a question like that is how are you navigating these times how are you connecting to what will help you get through the day or the losses that we're experiencing or the fear or the the unknown you know this 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 time where where things are more complex than ever and we mm-hmm. have less and less in some ways control over things you know i mean i just would ask people you know begin that how do you navigate that And, and then I think that I would have, well, you know, we're, we're doing a performance tomorrow for seniors online. Mm. And, and, and the theme is, you know, navigating these isolating times. And so that, you know, our introductions are, are, are talking about, you know, we're planting the seeds of how we're navigating these times, you know, the various ways that we're navigating. Um, and then, My idea as a conductor is that, you know, I will ask the audience, how, how are you navigating these times? You know, how, how are you taking care of yourself? How are you connecting to others? How are you having fun? You know, how are you, how, what do you do during these times when, you know, you're so, we're so isolated? And, you know, particularly for seniors, some of them don't go out of the house, mm-hmm. literally. Um, so it's like being able to explore, so acknowledging the immensity of it and the experience of it, and then exploring the various aspects of it. So it's like we're navigating so many things. So we need to acknowledge them and then also support the things that help us to get through this because, because we need that as well. Mm-hmm. Does, does that am I yeah. answering your question kind of yeah definitely I'm I'm thinking that also uh, you were you were also saying that um, the question you're gonna ask the audience you're gonna perform to tomorrow um, tomorrow right mm-hmm. online and what I'm I'm noticing that you're bringing back the control to um, to the people in this in this situation where control have taken away and uh, you were talking about the unknown and the uncertainty that uh, this time holds and 
with your question um, aiming for what do you do and how do you cope and what um, what are the ways that uh, what have you been doing with uh, with the, with all that? Then it brings back the control to to the teller to the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very that's a very beautiful succinct way of putting it. And in that in 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 what they share, acknowledging whatever feelings they have about it about the yeah. hard stuff, but um, but then also um, like you say helping to um helping them to think about what what they do have control over because there's so much that that we don't you know mm-hmm. and some people are at you know we're on a spectrum you know we're mm-hmm. on a spectrum of what you do or don't have control over you know depending on many things you know and yet tomorrow you're going to perform and you're going to bring joy and and do playback together with your troupe to an audience that maybe maybe normally wouldn't go on Zoom to to watch a performance but they're doing that i guess because of you and uh, what you have to offer and i think that's that's amazing yes and as i said we're reaching the end i want to ask you if there's something that you want to add something that you feel that maybe you haven't said and uh, you would like to share no i i think i've said a lot of words <laughs> <laughs> and 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 uh i i i just would like to say that i i appreciate your um your way of interviewing and 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 having in at some points a really nice kind of dialogue and sharing and and then also um, i love thinking about conducting it is uh i think there's one thing i want to say i think i am a lot kinder in observing other conductors now than you think, were than i was for a long time and and one of the reasons i think that is is that in the beginning i i wanted to be good and so sometimes when you're good uh when you want to be good you 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 get drawn to the folks that you want to model and then folks that you're like oh i don't know about that then you know it's like you them being not so good makes you gooder mm-hmm. <laughs> i know that's not a real word but that's the yeah. ego that's the ego and then um and then uh as i've learned more about conducting and as i've learned more about the complexity of a performance and the dynamics and all the things that are happening and all the things that a conductor has to be aware of and hold i just find that i have more um compassion for other conductors and mostly i see other conductors in in playback venues you know Mm-hmm. in in conferences and things like that and that is t- is a whole nother ball game because you know you're under a microscope in in those experiences so i mm-hmm. have so much more compassion and i think that's a good thing and i think one of the biggest things that a that a conductor can cultivate is humility i i really appreciate that you said that and that this is how we're concluding our interview because I think compassion that's the key basically for good conducting 
and good playbacking. Yeah, and 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 it's an ongoing work that we're doing um, with ourselves on our egos and all that. And it's it's great to to hear from you about this journey that that you went through. Uh, that led you to this place of being nowadays more compassionate. And I think this is a message. I hope if there's one thing I hope people will take out of this conversation, it's it's this. Mm. I think that's the most important thing. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you very much for for sharing your from your experience and knowledge. I think it was really helpful and I'm, I'm sure many can can learn a lot from it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please check out our previous episodes. And please share this episode with others. Thank you.